All right, and we're recording. Today was a wild day in sports. Uh, we're back again here. Uh, man, how are you feeling about today, man? There's been so much to unravel. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so much news that I don't even know if we could cover it all in one podcast, but uh, we'll definitely, you know, try to get this news uh, out to you all as soon as possible. It's yeah, I don't, yeah, the past week. So last time we recorded, um, the Olympics hadn't started yet. The, the opening ceremony was like right when we finished recording, I guess, is when it officially started in Tokyo. And then later that night was when we saw the opening ceremony here in the United States. But just today alone, it's Thursday or it was Thursday, July 29th. Uh, the M- there was so much MLB trade news. Uh, the Olympics have been going on, but there's MLB trade news and NBA trade news uh, that really... I don't know, just shocked my world at least. And I think we should talk about that. Also the NBA draft. But first, we got to talk about the big blockbuster trade. Uh, your favorite team is acquiring uh, Russell Westbrook for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and a first-round pick. Right. I'm going to let you talk, man, because this is your team. I'm pretty sure you want to get stuff out of your chest. Finally sure. get rid of Kuzma, right? Is that, you know, is that the sentiment here you're feeling? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I'm thinking about it. So Kuzma, KCP, Harrell, and the 2021 first rounder. Um, you know, you know, I think, you know, it really would have liked to have Schroeder gone um, probably instead of KCP. I think, you know, but KCP has a very attractive con- a contract and he's a, more coveted player at this point on the trade market. So, um, you know, that makes sense. Um, I do think overall it is a s- step in the right direction for the Lakers. I understand that Westbrook, um, when I really look at it in some ways uh, on, on paper is like not really the best fit. Yeah. Right? Because I, I think LeBron really likes outside perimeter shooters that are like strong in that regard. I don't think Westbrook qualifies in that category. He's more of the, I'm going to go into the basket and, you know, try to lay up and, you know, power through um, kind of, kind of guy. But, um, you know, there are a few scenarios with this. Um, I think one LeBron, you know, as a great look facilitator, um, that definitely helps in terms of just like, you know, spacing the floor. And I think that that is something that, you know, I think Westbrook may not really have had, you know, he had James Harden in Houston, but Harden was, running such a different offense. It was such a, you know, ball dominant. I'm just going to keep the ball the entire time kind of offense. Uh, I think LeBron's less of that in some ways, even though he is ball dominant, he really likes to pass the ball around a lot more. Um, so I think that's beneficial. And then, you know, I, we could probably talk this later down the road, but I personally, as a Lakers fan, have some, you know, thoughts, maybe thoughts about this, this not being the final destination for Russell Westbrook, maybe, you know, someone like uh, Damian Lillard might be, you know, in Portland might be enticed yeah. a little bit about hearing like a w- Russell Westbrook being available, you know, to uh, send their way um, ex- in exchange for Damian Lillard, because that's who I'm stumping for. Ultimately, I, I would like Dame to be on the Lakers. I think he just fits so well with uh, that team. It'd be awesome. So I have, I have, I have a lot of thoughts, but man, when I saw this, news go down it was already on i was following mlb trade deadline news we probably won't get to that stuff in this show we might get to a later show but there was already so much mlb trade deadline stuff going on and then 
just popped up on ESPN and Woj bombs about them, you know, potentially the Buddy Heald. Like earlier uh, in the day, the Lakers were going to get Buddy Heald for Kyle Kuzma and Harrell because Harrell opted in. Uh, and then that, that got scrapped away. And then immediately I see another one that says Westbrook for uh, three Lakers players. And I'm thinking, is this happening? And when it initially dropped, the first thought I had was this, this is a big deal, of course, but this isn't the best move for the Lakers only because when you think about spacing, it's just terrible spacing for the Lakers, especially giving up KCP when Caruso is going to be really your only premier shooter, three point shooter, at least perimeter guy. It's not, it doesn't seem like a good fit for me, especially with, it's just going to clog the paint with how these guys play. And I guess LeBron has to take more and more threes as he's been doing later on in his career. And that was my first thought. And then over time, as I've been able to ruminate on it, I was thinking about game five and game six uh, of the Lakers Suns uh, series this year mm-hmm. and how you, you've talked about this, that once AD went down, it felt like unless LeBron was there, the rest of the Lakers didn't give a damn. Or even when LeBron was there, it felt like there wasn't really a fire and they just kind of gave up because they knew how good AD is. And when with AD out, they thought there was no way they could stop what the Suns could do on offense. Uh, many sets, eight feeding it down to eight and high, low action. I can go on and on. But they just they took it. They took the Lakers to the woodshed. Um, games five and six, um, once AD went down, and I think having Westbrook is just another dog or another guy that won't let you give up. That won't let the role players really give into a defeatist mentality. Uh, they, you already had that with LeBron, but there's only LeBron can so much do right now at his age, and he's admitted to how he is not exactly at hundred percent. He's kind of, it, it's a little self-defeating, but it's not, not in a derogatory way, just in the, he's understanding that he's getting older and he's taken on so much of a, so much of a workload and so much, so many hits throughout how often he goes to the playoffs and how deep he goes to the playoffs going to the finals almost every year. It just happens to these people's bodies. So, so that's, I'm now leaning towards a positive reception of this just because it just gives another dog that's just willing to rile up the role players and be another floor raiser. I am kind of concerned. Everyone's going to be competing for rebounds on this team. It feels like uh, the Lakers. Um, It's kind of ridiculous. And Westbrook, although he isn't a great perimeter shooter, and I think he is, I mean, he'll admit this probably too. He's the best when he's driving and attacking and using his athleticism in that way, he does take a lot of shots. He's a high volume shooter of whether he's good at it or not. So I guess just having the threat of that is important. And that might just be a good space enough spacing factor. And another positive in that I'm thinking about is that this is going to be a high motor, good defensive match to the Nets big three. When you think about how 
Russell Westbrook, he's not the best defensively, but he's definitely he's definitely good at defensively. He definitely sure. gets a lot of firepower. And as I guess also having Russell Westbrook as a guy who kind of hates uh, KD and some of the other uh, players on the Nets, you know, it gives an incentive, an extra fire that maybe they're already predicting a finals run and they're predicting in the finals, they're going to match up against the Nets, you know? So that that's the positives from that point. I guess you also get rid of Kuzma. I'm still just worried because of the fact that there isn't a lot of perimeter shooting and it's yeah. going to be a lot of clogged lanes. And I'm not quite sure how uh, Westbrook and LeBron are going to get along, but I mean, I guess they will. And I, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, so great points. I think um, I do definitely agree with them. Um, to your point, the last point about LeBron and Westbrook's relationship there. Uh, one, I'm definitely sure LeBron signed off on this, so that's for sure. And then yeah. two, um, you know, I'm pretty sure I, I you know, it, LeBron kind of like garners respect from basically, you know, all, all everyone from the league. That's one of the one of the crazy things and one of the great things that LeBron has. You know, really just like uh, you have players. And that's the reason why I was so disappointed last season. But, you know, in the past, you have players that, you know, don't try, that seem like they don't, you know, give a damn sometimes in games. And, you know, when LeBron recruits them, they, they, they actually, you know, go get on it and they actually, you know, try their best um, because they know that with LeBron, you know, you have to give your best uh, because you have a chance to win that championship. Um, and then, you know, I just watching game five and six uh, of, uh, you know, this year's playoffs against the Suns, uh, especially game five backcourt, giving us zero points in the game, uh, in the playoff game. That was just un unacceptable. And uh, I just thought, you know, the most of the team just gave up in some ways. They were playing a little bit of like, you know, we're, we're a little bit arrogant. We just won last year. And then we're just going to, you know, kind of kind of just like uh, act like we, we don't give the effort out there, which is just unacceptable at that point. Um, my only disappointment is that, you know, I think the one individual and, you know, Kyle Kuzma, sure you could, I know a lot of, you know, media and I guess Lakers fans as well don't like him that much. It's very understandable why the guy just shoots whenever he gets the ball. Uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, conduce to a very good kind of offensive um, result. Um, yeah. But I think um, what Kuzma, I, I thought like, uh, you know, in some ways was still, you know, buying into the system. Um, I think that, you know, LeBron had, a, you know, definitely had him in his year. And so um, Kuzma was someone that definitely um, was still like, you know, someone that, I think could have been on this team for another run. I don't, I just don't see any reason for the Lakers to keep Dennis Schroeder. Um, I, yeah, understand. the only reason why they're keeping him now and they're trying to sign him is because of cap issues. Um, other than that, like uh, if they had more cap flexibility, the Lakers would have never ever considered uh, looking, taking a second look at Dennis Schroeder. Um, I think, you know, the guy kind of, in my honest opinion, he he kind of he kind of ruined a little bit of like what the Lakers want to do last season, um, just like you know forcing himself to start make himself in the starting lineup, um, you know, and then just uh, in the playoffs, just being lackluster and uh, you know demanding, yeah. turning down that twenty I think it was over twenty million a year kind of extension 
uh, because he wanted a lot more than that, which is just you know un unheard of at that point for a, I guess, an okay backup point guard. But for, I mean, most starting point guards don't even make that much, so that's like insane for him to uh, to uh, demand that and then just not show up. So um, that's someone I think you know. Hopefully, I think the Lakers are not done. Hopefully, um, dealing, and so he will be someone that we'll have to take a look at, maybe moving on from as well. Yeah, I, I felt like he was trying to garner Reggie Jackson, um, like a Reggie Jackson like jump from backup six man to, you know, star point guard or whatever, without actually putting in the work. Reggie Jackson, it felt like at least putting in the work is, I don't mean it that way, but showing the 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 output that. Reggie Jackson did in these playoffs. I mean, he did not. He hasn't really throughout the season, um, in my opinion, at least. I mean, you would know even more as a Lakers fan, but I didn't see that from him. So oh, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want do you want to talk more about how how you're feeling about this trade? How you're feeling about the spacing or anything? Yeah, I think you know. Um, I, I think overall the Lakers really, when you look about it, all the, the only piece that really was valuable was KCP. I think that's the only piece that, you know, was valuable. That's the only reason why yeah. the Wizards probably accepted this trade. One, the Wizards accepted this trade because it gives them flex, a cap flexibility. Um, that's the one thing they wanted to do. Try to build around Bradley Beal and see if they can win around him in the long term uh, by doing this trade. Um, I know, I think Harrow, is on an expiring. Yeah, he's 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 on a one-year deal, so he's on an expiring contract, and there's a lot of you know flexibility there. Um, KCP is the one guy that definitely helps, you know, in any team since he's yeah. a you know, three and D kind of like threat, and yeah. uh, you know, in in many ways the guy was still good, even though in some ways he was streaky at times. I think he really still bought in. Um, so that that hurts, but um, you know, looking at what. Westbrook has now brings to the table. Uh man, I I I just like you know it, it kind of sucks just because I know that he's not at the level that he used to be at. Uh, yeah, that, that ferocity and that athletic tenacity that he used to you know be famous for. Um, that being said, I think being being on the Lakers with so many other uh, stars, like being with AD and LeBron, knock on wood, hopefully they're all healthy. Uh, Westbrook can have that, you know, a little bit more of a uh, breather in some some ways in terms of like going through regular season. So he doesn't have to really just burn himself out and really just uh, go hard in the postseason, which is, I guess, the Lakers hope in terms of doing that. Just make a very hard playoff push and see where that takes him. Yeah, I'll get to I'll get to the Wizards in a minute because I have some opinions on that. Sure. But to wrap, I guess on my end, to wrap up uh, on the Lakers side, I think when you bring in Westbrook, it's you can look at how things panned out for the big three with the Nets and how injuries derailed it and how they still had one member of the big three that almost ca that carried them almost to beating the you know the the NBA champions uh, the, the eventual NBA champions and maybe in their mind they're thinking AD is so injury prone you and LeBron, we know, is not 100%. If we can have Westbrook still standing, maybe there's a chance that that could work. Although I don't think Westbrook's any newer near KD's level right now. Right. Just straight up, you just got to say what it is. Um, I think that's an important thing. And I've already made my point about the dog having a third dog there for 
I guess having a second dog, it, no offense to AD. I feel like AD isn't the same type of leader or same type of, you know, fiery guy. I mean, he's a great talent and a great player for sure. He's one of the best one really healthy, but it just, I think sometimes LeBron, if he can get very intense with that crew, at least that he was, that he was stuck with, it might've just fallen on deaf ears, deaf ears, those game five and game six and part, you know, the end of game four. So it just helps, helps to have that extra guy. I mean, this guy, Russell Westbrook, he's still great. You know, he's a good passer. He's still, his basketball IQ and his decision-making might not be the best, but that might be what LeBron is there for. And he can just, that just allows Westbrook, like you're saying, it puts some, some, what's it called? Put some tension off of him, gives him a little bit of breathing room. Also right. in the fact that he maybe isn't too, too responsible for all the decision-making and he can rely more on the athleticism and not have to make so many like turnovers or blunders because you have LeBron trying to manage that. Um, right. So, so I think that that is a good, that is a good, role and good fit in that sense again i'm just this is going to be a great rebounding team but i don't yeah. know how this is going to be uh shooting wise but maybe they're just doubling down on how good they are at defensive efficiency and they're just doubling down on this defensive um, just going all in on defense and going on these dog hustle type plays and uh less on consistent shooting and trying to build up their offensive efficiency so a quick question. I think, uh, you know, I have to ask this because in the Lakers rumors before this trade went down in the days before there was rumors for both Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry, um, you know, in, in terms of like going to Lakers. Now I think Chris Paul, that one was much more further of a reach because I think, you know, since just going to the finals, I, I, I doubt he'd want to leave the Suns, but I think Kyle Lowry was something that was, you know, very much a real possibility. Um, that being, you know, I think maybe a little bit at a slightly more expensive price, but, um, you know, when, when you look at it, the possibility again, Kyle Lowry or Russell Westbrook, which one would you have, uh, think would be a better um, move for the Lakers there? I mean, it depends on what you're giving up. If you're giving up nothing or it's purely a free agent move or something like that for Kyle Lowry, uh, I guess I would have chosen Kyle Lowry. Uh, but I think, at the same time, we know that Lakers want to get rid of Kuzma, and they weren't. I was thinking about this. What, do you know why? It was just so weird how much, how little they use Harrell. Like they just had a, such an aversion to using Harrell in the playoffs, which seemed yeah. ridiculous to me uh, because Gasol wasn't doing the job for them. It felt right. like who knows. So. I guess they just wanted to get rid of these pieces. And I mean, Westbrook is, I think I mean, he's definitely better than Lowry, but I, I still think Harrell would have been a good player over what they, what let's say over Marcus all. So sure. Yeah, that's just me. Uh, I, I think, you know, the main thing about Harrell is that um, I, I remember when the Lakers first, first signed Harrell, um, Clippers fans were saying, you know, in, the, in their playoffs that year against, uh, it was the Nuggets, uh, and they were phasing out Harold as well during the playoffs. And it was just because for some reason, Harold during the playoffs, he just isn't as effective. Um, you know, him and it's like, you know, he's mainly the, the motor kind of big energy kind of guy mm -hmm. in the playoffs. Like, you know, when a game kind of like slows down a little bit, I don't think that helps as much. Everyone's a lot more like focused, intense on stuff. And so, 
I think his impact kind of diminished. And so, um, you know, the Lakers kind of got, got a taste of what that happened. So they, uh, you know, decided to phase him out as well. Um, the only thing about Kyle Lowry I was just thinking about is that um, the guy's also a dog for sure. So like, you know, that, that I think is about the same um, with Westbrook's, you know, level intensity. It's just that Lowry's a much better shooter. And that, that was the only thing, you know, I was uh, thinking about, but it, you know, ultimately I didn't day, I don't know if Toronto would have ever, you know, accepted a trade. Um, it will only could have been a trade. It couldn't have been a free agent signed because the Lakers didn't have cap space to sign a free agent of his set caliber. So had it been like a sign in trade. So I don't know. It's, it's hypotheticals, but it's something that, you know, I've, I've been considering and thought about. Also, also based on this draft, I mean, we can talk about that later. Maybe they're, they don't want to move from Lowry. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. Just kind of confused why they didn't choose a certain player over another early on, but yep. <laughs> that is what it is. All right. So with the wizards, um, so you explain what the Wizards' rationale might have been to create cap flexibility um, to show Bill that they can build around him, maybe make, make increases, not increases, but speeds up Bill's, deci- Bill's decision timeline, whether, he want, uh, whether or not he wants a trade if they see that they're making cap room and cap flexibility. I just think pure I, this is not this is less analytical and i guess head and more heart and gut feeling sure. when you think about the wizards and how they had a rough start to begin with but they really they really kicked it in the gear at the end they had a great winning i shouldn't say great but they had really good winning streaks at the end and we got we got to see russell westbrook kind of come back to like previous levels and bradley beal uh, Steph Curry um, battle was going on and it it was clicking in a way like they kind of made Rui work and all of that and I thought it would have been a good I thought let me step back when Westbrook was traded to the Wizards I thought that was the perfect fit for Westbrook it's like a floor raiser for a bunch of young guys and like a star and he can do his own thing. He's not like pressured by always being in winning. He has to be in winning situations and being the man. He can be the man, but like in a place where there's young guys and it's a low environment that like he's tell, he's building up young people to become dogs, to give a shit uh, in that sense. And it just sucks for with him leaving because I feel like that kind of lessens the development of so many young players that the Wizards are probably going to want to have. And right. it just seems like a weird, weird uh, move to me, especially, I mean, when you think about, um, I mean, with the, they picked Corey Kispert in uh, the draft and they already had, they, they got KCP in the trade. I don't, I'm just kind of, I guess they're just going full in, I guess, full on um, building youth, a- collecting youth assets rather than trying to stay mugwump, I guess. Um, in a way, maybe they never were going to hit a title ceiling. And I believe that they were never going to hit a title ceiling with Westbrook Beal and uh, young players. But I thought it was a nice setup that they had going to maybe develop these young players. And then eventually when Westbrook gets old, they can move on from him. And then those young players can come back, you know, can kick in the gear. Like with Thomas Bryant, you know, I know there's huge buzz around that guy, uh, the center for the Wizards. 
So I'm just a little confused on that point of view. I get it from a head, like from a common sense standpoint of on paper, it's you get cap flexibility. If Beal really wants out, then you have so much flexibility to just, you have cap room and then you have assets that you can just, you know, go into a tank job, I guess. But anyways, your thoughts on the Wizards? Uh, I think the Wizards did okay. Um, I think, you know, they, they got what they wanted in terms of just cap flexibility. That's the end of the day, what they wanted to do. Um, I think they, the Wizards are emphasizing they want to win with Bradley Beal in, as their centerpiece. That remains to be seen. Um, I think Beal definitely – he's definitely a wonderful, you know, second-best player on the championship team. I don't know if he would be yeah. the first. I agree. Um, that's perfect, yeah. And so, you know, that's that's that being said, you know, and then, you know, getting all those shooters, as you mentioned, getting KCP in a trade, getting Kispert in the draft, like, got a lot of shooters at this point now. And I, I think it's just a youth move in full force. Um, you know, I, I think being going to tank, tank war is a very dangerous place. Um, you know, really, if you think about it, only one organization really have had some success, middling success, which is Philadelphia 76ers. And they tanked forever. They had, you know, some of the worst years, some of the most miserable years as a franchise. Um, you're looking at, you know, all the other organizations these days, um, you know, like the Pistons. We'll see what Kate Cunningham can do, um, you know, in terms of changing their fortunes. But the Pistons, the Cavs, now the Rockets. But, I mean, you know, the, the other ones, like the Pistons and the Cavs, they've been, I mean, other than, like, someone like LeBron, like, or, like, a real, like, homegrown star, like, coming in to save the day. Those guys have been terrible. They've been living in the lottery and in the draft, uh, in the tank for so long. So it's a dangerous game to go into. But I think at this point – um, the Wizards understand they don't have too much more options. At, um, and then, you know, the best way to go for it is to possibly entertain that option or to see if maybe some, you know, free agent can be somewhat convinced somehow, some way to go to Washington. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you said it all, man. I, I, I mean, I kind of, we, we've talked about this before, uh, yeah, I think you just are trying to get a free agent at that point. But I think you're right in that Beal probably is the second player, not the best player on a team. Yeah. And, um, we'll, just, we'll just see if this youth movement works. I mean, even with the Sixers, right, the tanking has been disappointment. Uh, just right. with how we've seen about Ben Simmons. I mean, they might not see it as a disappointment with how they're the number one seed. Um this past year and with Jimmy Butler, they got kind of close. If they were to beat the Raptors, who knew, who knows what could have happened that year. Um, but I think it is definitely a dangerous game. I mean, even the Celtics, when they get a ton of draft picks, um, they, I mean, it's nice. You got Tatum and smart and Brown with that, but it hasn't been, you haven't won a championship necessarily based off of that. Um, right. We'll see if the Thunder, the, what they're doing right now, I'm kind of liking how they're doing this, but let's see if what they're doing is going to work too. So, yeah, I think the tank thing was be very dangerous. So you just got, we just got to hope that, not we, but the Wizards just got to hope that a free agent, like a high caliber free agent would want to go there and they have enough cap room and entice them with Bradley Beal. 
yeah let's well, hope i guess for, as a wizards fan for wizards fans i'm not a wizards fan full disclosure but for wizards fans yeah you know they can they can pray and hope for that all right i mean i think i've said i've said what i need to say about this trade what about you yeah i i think so i think you know it's just uh it, it's it's interesting trade i just say it's something that you know i i ex- really expected until I think it's the first time we've heard since it was today is first time we heard about this being something was a possibility and then just got made so uh it was interesting yeah i, I was a little i was a little checked out there i was just trying to get the, the draft stuff ready because i think we should just talk about the draft that happened tonight uh we're recording Sounds this great. very late um i mean it's 2 a.m my time we recorded especially late i feel like because the draft of the draft today uh and right. how long it took and all of that. But it was, it was definitely one with a bunch of twists and turns. Um, I've talked about this uh, in the NFL draft episode that as much as I love handing out like winners and losers and so-called draft grades and all of that, and it's so fun to look at, that they, they're kind of meaningless because they, they mean the least right after it happens, but that's when we think about it the most is right after it happens. We don't really think about, we don't really do draft grades, you know, a year or two years um, the same way we think about draft grades right after it happened. Nonetheless, we're kind of going to be doing it right now. I feel like when we're talking about the draft. Um, So I don't know how we're going to recap this, man. It's, there's definitely, it was definitely, Interesting. Um, I think the biggest surprise or what the first big surprise was Scotty Barnes going to Toronto instead of Jalen, um, Jalen Suggs, which is what I was mentioning before uh, with the Kyle Rowry situation. Um, I'm just kind of confused on this, man. I like Scotty Barnes. I mean, he's, he was a great athlete, great player. Um, he's, you know, that there's talk of he's basically, you know, a Draymond Green, Ben Simmons type. There's been a lot of comparisons with him. When I see him in college, he's just he's just super athletic and a great passer. And although shooting's not there, his defense is, of course, being being at Florida State, Leonard Hamilton coach team, your defense and that scheme, it's going to – it's your defense is going to improve for sure. And I know the Raptors and Nick Nurse kind of build def- – they're kind of defense heavy in the way they, um, they strategize and game plan, but Jalen Suggs is right there for you, man. It's uh, he's feels like a great succession point guard. He can do everything for you. He can shoot, he can defend, maybe not to the level of Scotty Barnes as far as defending and athletic athleticism goes, but his IQ, his Jalen Suggs IQ is amazing. And I'm just a little confused, confused by, um, Eugerian in the front office at uh, in uh, Toronto, man. I I am echoing the exact same things. I am so confused. I think this draft is very talented. Let's not get it wrong. I think you know these guys are all you know very much talented prospects. But when I look at this year's draft board, there's only four names: Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. These guys were in my opinion, cut above everyone else. They were clearly the four best prospects in this draft. Yeah. Uh, I think like, you know, they, they separated themselves to another front. I think you could make the argument that Kate Cunningham is like in a class of his own, but you know, 
that's something we can discuss at a later point. But these four guys, I think, definitely are, you know, going back into you know, like something that I, I do every year, fantasy football. It's like the they're like the, you know, the, the can't miss kind of like running backs at the beginning of the draft that, you know, you basically have to draft. I just don't understand why they, they let Jalen Suggs, you know, a guy who's I think his athletic ability is off the charts. Like you, you saw like what he's done. Um, yeah. You know, in that, in that, uh, semi, in, in that semifinal game yeah. um, against UCLA, uh, you know, I mean, Suggs is the, basically just went it, ballistic. It went insane. Made that game winner. Um, I, I don't know why he, he'd be great for, you know, I guess like branding as well for, for any team that drafts him. And uh, it just seems interesting why the Raptors did not decide to take him. You know, I do like Scotty Barnes. Um, I think, you know, he is a great player. Um, I, I don't know if this is true. I see in some ways I see some shades of uh, OG Ananobi in, in him as well. Um, I think OG's a very good. He's, he's developed into a good shooter as well. So um, I guess like Toronto's very confident that their kind of like coaching staff can develop Scotty into like a more competent shooter and hopefully become that kind of like in some ways, like a, like a, like a multi-category kind of contributor, um, which is what the, you know, the Toronto Raptors are known for in terms of just like their kind of like uh, team co- uh, composition, but man, just like Jalen Suggs can do so much for you. And it's just, I think it's a mistake personally for the Raptors to pass him on and, you know, great job by the magic. I mean, if he's sitting there at five, come on, you you take him. I, 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 the moment I thought, you know, the moment Jalen Suggs passed number four, I am certain there were like at least like five or 10 teams that called the magic saying, please <laughs> trade with us. We'd yeah. love to trade with you right now. And, you know, the magic did the right thing, said no, and actually took the guy. That's like really just like so amazing um, in terms of like everything. So, yeah, we can, I mean, we can talk about uh, the magic for sure. I think they definitely reversed course with how they did this draft. You think, this team is a bunch of non-shooters. Uh, they're they're used to like a bunch of wings that can really defend or really long arm, or, you know, airport 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 tests um, to where these guys look like crazy athletes and they can defend and they have long wingspans. But they kind of broke the mold with that. And I mean, these guys, Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs, are still athletic. Um, but they did a great job in drafting shooters. They drafted versatile, like I shouldn't say three and D, but great score all around guys. They're great scorers and defenders, uh, both um, Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner. I mean, great job on their, that part to create some actual functional offense <laughs> you know, that could work rather than uh, just, you know, drafting a bunch of wing, you know, a bunch of uh, long wingspan guys that can defend and, can't really score um that i definitely think the magic did a good job this draft um uh, for sure for sure i mean like you're saying i mean i've i was thinking about this draft and early on and how i would understand i understand in previous years i'm i'm a college basketball fan before an nba fan and a lot of times i see let's say a guy like anthony edwards or uh, i'll just say a guy like anthony edwards or a guy like um Markel Fultz or, or guys like these that they're um, they 
I get they have NBA talent or whatever, but like because of how lackluster they're doing in college or how lackluster they are in carrying a team or so, um, that it just kind of disappoints me. That is just not the case with um, with those the three guys that you you mentioned. Four guys: Jalen Green, Kay Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. Kay Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs were amazing players in college, like amazing. Um, irrespective of just, uh, you know, NBA prospect level. I mean, I think Evan Mobley was an all Pac-12 player. He was maybe Pac-12 player of the year, and he was one of the best defensive players by far, and especially in the Pac-12. Cade Cunningham, he's had the most clutch points in college basketball last year, just the most, and he got Big 12 player of the year. I I think it should have been Jared Butler, but – he got Big 12 Player of the Year, and that's well deserved because that man was amazing um, in how he a- executed at Oklahoma State. Um, and Jalen Suggs, um, what I gotta say from from the first game against Kansas, uh, this guy from there on out, he's just been insanely, insanely good for. Gonzaga. I remember watching him against Iowa. I can go on and on. These guys have been great in college and Scotty Garns has been good too. So I'm like, I'm kind of confused by that move that I would understand if let's say they'd want to pass on, um, pass them on for culture purposes or thinking they wouldn't. I know, let's say um, Nick Nurse kind of wants a lot from his players. I feel like Jalen Suggs would have been a perfect guy, perfect fit. It just, you know, on paper just seemed to work. Maybe he just really dislikes Siakam. He just dislikes Siakam that much that he just <laughs> he's just already getting his replacement <laughs> before even getting a Lowry replacement. But that's I, that's all I gotta say about the Raptors. But I think the Magic, I think, are were did one of the best jobs. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Today did to yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, I, I don't know how you want to do this uh, recap. It's kind of um, interesting. Sure. I mean, we can go pick by pick or we can just go winners, losers, because I mean, if I mean the thunder, I think did decent. I mean, I kind of understand with the Josh, um, Josh, Giddy, was it Giddy? Yeah. Josh Giddy. I, I, I mean, I get, I get that it, he's a guard that's really tall and he can play make and there might be shades of, you know, Shades of Luca. Anyone who's taller than six five and can pass as a point guard is Luca now. But I, I mean, <laughs> I can I can understand the athleticism and why he was like a basketball nerd darling, and these draft stocks just skyrocketed before this draft. Uh, but I mean, it's a little questionable just because I feel like you could have gotten him later, and he might have fallen to, uh, to I mean, to let's say sixteen, which is when they had a pick, but they traded to the Rockets, but. Right. Uh, um, you can talk about if you want to, but I'm just going to go straight into, I'm a little upset and I'm a little disappointed in the Warriors. Um, yeah. just, just a little, um, they, they could have got Davion Mitchell or, um, book night, book night fell. And, um, he did. Yeah. Book night fell, book night fell for, he fell to Charlotte at like cheat. 11, <laughs> Um, they could have gotten Davion Mitchell or Book Knight, and I feel like that would have been a better fit. Um, than Kaminga, who I don't know how the the Warriors have been drafting in such a weird way. They're drafting for like the future, 
when they should be drafting win now. Um, we'll talk about Moses Moody. I like Moses Moody in college, and he gets, you know, he's a three and D guy for sure. And he can get to the line, but he's definitely more of a project and raw. But Kaminga is just straight up raw. Yeah. Just straight up raw. So raw. Um, <laughs> I mean, before this draft, um, before the draft, there hasn't been a lot of huge positive press on Jonathan Kaminga. I mean, he was on the same team as Jalen Green, and everyone was talking of Jalen Green, but no one was really talking of Kaminga. It just doesn't – I don't know how he necessarily fits. Um, I don't know how he's going to develop – like, they're going to have to put a lot of effort in developing him when they should put a lot of effort into winning now, especially when you think before this draft that they were trying to trade – um, these two picks plus some other for, plus let's say Wiggins or Wiseman for uh, a star player. And you're thinking, well, then why don't you just use this to win now or use these picks to win now? And it's, 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 I don't know. It's just a little interesting. It's just a little interesting. Anything, you know, this is total speculation, but there is always a chance, you know, the Warriors are trying to see if, they're trying to build up as many assets as possible, like attractive po- prospects, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. You can, in some ways you could say Kaminga was, um, you know, probably one of the best on boards, like just on the draft board yeah. in general. His athletic ability is amazing. I, right, I, right. I've not heard not like amazing. specifically team fits, which is, you know, of course, Davion Mitchell um, and, and Bo Knight would be much better than, you know, what Kaminga brings at this point for the Warriors. But Maybe the Warriors are just looking for, you know, another team to trade um, their star player and then, you know, for like assets. And, you know, Kamingo would be a much more valuable liquid asset at this point than, you know, someone, you know, like uh, Davon Mitchell, who maybe would fit one team better than others, but uh, maybe wouldn't have a, you know, across the board kind of appeal. So that's what I'm thinking. I think the Warriors should be still in win now mode. Um, I mean, you, know, you got Stephen Clay. Come on, like you shouldn't be going like, oh, we're going to build for a future. That, that just seems kind of – that seems, you know, silly at this point. So, I agree. Yeah. that I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, Kaminga had great athletic upside, and before this draft process really started, he was mocked at five almost all the time. He was, you know, such great upside that he supposedly had. Um I guess as a quasi Warriors fan, I'm a little just disappointed in that they they could have chosen a shooter. I was thinking maybe even Franz Wagner would have been been nice um, at seven, but just because he's he's a he's straight up a three and D guy, you don't need you don't need any uh, you don't need as much player development and coaching into that. But to your point about maybe they're just trying to collect assets to leverage into a star. Um, that works if like you're good at asset development and from what we've seen with Wiseman, uh, <laughs> what we've seen of all of these guys that they've drafted before, right. I guess Jordan pools worked out, but, um, you see from Wiseman, right. He was, he was supposed to be a star and, and it just, it didn't gel and Steve Kerr and Draymond green have really been on his ass. And I could see the same thing happening for Kaminga, right. It, it, it's enough to say you need, to develop at I mean, you can say on paper you can say oh we're going to develop assets and that that can be leverage but if they come to the warriors and they're just because they're so raw they're not able to fit in immediately then the asset value just goes down right i mean yeah i think you know it's it's kind of like you know when lebron came to lakers i mean it's a little bit different but you know 
they just like move the young guys out eventually. Um, or like, you know, LeBron going back to the Cavs, just like, you know, moving out Andrew Wiggins, who was a you know, already a polished player that he and Wiggins was a polished player in the Kansas and, uh, uh, you know, just moved him out for Kevin Love. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense here, I think, as well. I think Kaminga and, and Wiseman, they're they got immense talent. Of course, it's just that at this point, they're on not on the right timeline as what the organization wants to do. Um, yeah. OK. Um, in terms of, I think. Uh, going on in terms of other winners and losers, um, you know, in the yeah. draft. Um, what's your thoughts about, let's say, you know, someone like, uh, um, oh, yeah, first of all, you know, your thoughts on Moses Mudia, because I know you wanted to talk about him. I forgot about that. Um, I mean, he, well, I mean, there's not much more I can say than what, let's say, the ESPN forecasters say. He was, he was a good, um, he was good in college. Um, he played decent. He had some struggles in the tournament, but it, I think he was he was good in a regular season in college. He's definitely a three and D guy. He's a good shooter. He gets to the line. Uh, he's good defensively. Uh, it feels like copy and paste what I'm saying for a lot of guys. It's just it's always the nuances that are a little different. Like this is this guy's a little more of a project. He's he's definitely athletic, but he's much more of a project than let's say another guy like Franz Wagner, who I might label as three and D as well. Um, but I mean, I like him and I get it. I think it was a little bit of a reach, but I guess because the warriors weren't going to be picking um, after that, that it makes sense. Um, I can't really knock it as much as uh, Kaminga. And when you think about when you have two picks like this, and this is not just my take, this is other um, media pundits takes as well, that, if you have two picks like this and you're the Warriors, that your first pick should be um, swing for defenses athlete guy, and then your second pick should be stay safe guy. Mm-hmm. And I guess they did that in a way, but it's still that's still very much pro. I guess not very much, but they're still project guys overall. Uh, Kaminga is a straight up project, and uh, Moody, I feel like you need to polish a little bit and consistency and stuff, but he gets, he's definitely aggressive and he gets to the line. And I, I don't know. I, I think I liked him for sure. And he's, he's a dog. And I mean, he, he's a good player. I, 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 I think he's solid for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a good point for sure. Um, yeah. I, I think. Hey, can we skip over and I want to talk about this before, you know, I forget, I guess I won't forget. Uh, because I think this is a little ridiculous. What is happening with the Spurs? <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea at this point. I think, you know, it's kind of interesting ever since things uh, kind of ended down there with uh, Tim Duncan retiring. It's been ever hard. since ever since Kawhi left. Since what is Kawhi happening? Left. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it's so I, I, I like Alabama. I, I remember we were podcasting in March and I, you know, straight up was just extolling the praises of Alabama almost every time we recorded this, this is not one of the guys I was thinking um, at all. He's like definitely a bench player. Um, I, I barely remembered uh, that he was even on the team for as much as I extolled their plays. And I liked them like so much. I, I just, I barely remember that this man was even on the team and he's such a project raw guy and 
I guess San Antonio, I shouldn't say is tanking. San Antonio's not tanking because as long as you have Popovich, I feel like you're going to be at least mediocre. Yeah. But it's just a weird, it's just a weird pick in my opinion. Uh, when du- Duarte was the next pick, Moody, Moody would have actually been a good, I think as much as Moody might've been a little high at 14, I think Moody would have been a great pick for, for his Spurs. Um, he, I feel like he would have fit that uh, mold. You know what I'm saying? Um, there were just other guys that I feel like they could have gotten yeah. other than Primo. Um, I, I just um, did not expect it. Did not expect that. And I'm wondering what's happened with pop. This might be a huge tangent here. You know, thinking about how the Team USA players um, are having a little have a little skirmishes, a little problems with uh, Popovich not really liking the culture. And when you've when we've been thinking before this, how much people have always said they've wanted to play for Popovich, how um, LeBron has called him the greatest coach of all time, and all of this. There was that era and this run, and now I guess since Kawhi left, it's it feels like it's done a 180, maybe not a 180, but it's definitely flipped, flipped narratives and that these players think that Popovich is maybe more of a burden and it's, he's just lost his touch maybe uh, in a weird parallel way, kind of mirrors what a lot of players, a lot of people are saying about Bill Belichick, which is making me a little nervous, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm just, I mean, they picked Wies camp later on, uh, who, I mean, you can't get wrong with shooters that are, you just can't get go wrong with great three-point shooters. So, and in the second round at least, and Wieskamp fits that mold. So at least they picked them, but it's still, I'm just right. kind of, what's up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know what's happened there. Uh, San Antonio is kind of interesting, but um, yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, it, it, it just sucks too because I was talking to a friend who um, he's a he's a huge Spurs fan, and uh, we were texting after Jalen Johnson got tra- uh, drafted uh, because we have our opinions on Jalen Johnson uh, just because we're a little salty we're salty Duke fans uh, but we do well I do at least I I'm, I, I'm just, I, I I do as well yes yeah we I mean, we both have the same opinion we're a little salty about that. Uh, we can't judge a man too hard, I guess. We don't we don't really know all the particulars, but from what little we know, we're still judging him. We're a little saucy of how he treat how how he did us. But we were texting after that pick, and he's a Spurs fan. And I'm like, how you, what what the, what what's going on with Pop? What is, what's going on with this pick? Um, and he's like, I don't know, man. We we have Jakob Pertl, not that many much not much big men after that. There's 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 some there's big men in this draft for sure, and uh, there's Shengun, the guy that people were just talking up, just skyrocketing up in this draft. And there's all there's these big guys, and <laughs> what are we doing uh, picking this guy? And he just sent me. He's just like, I'm dead. I'm dying. This sucks being a Spurs fan right now. I was like, Yeah, I I feel that. I feel that. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, pour one out for Spurs fans uh, in your life. Uh, just make sure they're okay, and uh, uh, everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's definitely a great point. But I, I wanted to briefly touch on 
Jalen Johnson, you can call him the quitter, whatever, whatever nickname you can call him, you know, take, being taken number 20 by the Hawks. Um, I'll say this. I think, honestly, when you think about it, he is going into a very deep forward roster on the Hawks. The, the Atlanta Hawks have a very deep forward front court. Um, you know, you really have DeAndre Hunter. You really have – I mean, Delino Gallinari, I assume maybe he's getting older, so that might be, you know, why they're trying to replace. But you have Delino Gallinari, you have John Collins, obviously. Um, there's there's a lot of, you know, bodies there um, that are in front of, I guess, what Jalen Johnson wants to, you know, get to um, before, like, he actually sees, like, a lot of significant playing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, like, you know, you're watching, like, someone – like Cam Reddish, like, you know, shout out Cam Reddish, man, like got drafted by um, the Hawks a few years ago. And, you know, I think it was only this year that he's started to get like a lot more consistent playing time. Even so it was a little bit spotty as well. It's just that, you know, it, they have a pretty deep roster top to bottom. And so, you know, yeah, I guess like it's, it's a gamble and could be good in the long term. but I, I just think like, it's going to be hard for him to even see playing time at this point, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you said it all. I can't really think of much more to say. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. guys, a quitter in our eyes. So I'm not. I, that's as much as I'll say. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to think of what else has happened in the first round. Uh, I still watched the second round, man. But uh, it's a little kind of. I was just. I just want to see when Luca Garza would get drafted because I think Luca Garza, wherever he's going to get drafted in the second round, is going to be relatively a steal. Uh, just because, I mean, the, the footwork and the, the walking bucket that he is, that he can score from anywhere. He's a center that can score from anywhere and his inside game, how well it is. I just thought people are just, you know, they're screwing themselves. You know, one of the dominant college basketball player last year, if they're just going to sleep on him like that, um, you know, so I'm glad he got drafted by the Pistons. Um, so yeah. I, that, I watched the second round for that. I'm just trying to think of what more we want to talk about with the first round. Um, I know there was one player. I was just listening to the ringer a little bit um, before, you know, the draft happened. Trey Mann of Florida being drafted by mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. Um, that was a player that was ru- rumored to be a, a, a Knicks kind of player, a Knicks pick that was supposed to be a good fit for them. And uh, – Apparently, you know, the, the Thunder decided to pick him up and then the Knicks subsequently trade their pick away uh, to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know too much about um, man, but, you know, apparently he's had a very good resurgence and uh, seems like to be a, you know, calm to NBA player. So someone that um, I guess like maybe had the interest of Tom Thibodeau and, and the Knicks, but ultimately did not get to New York, which is uh, interesting. I guess the Thunder the Thunder overall, I think, did quite well. I'm, I don't know. It's like, it's too early to see. I think, you know, Giddy is a little bit of a guy that's like, do you want to just say he's Luca and then just, you know, see if that sticks? Or is he actually going to be someone that actually turns out to be pretty good? It really has to depend. We'll see. But the good thing about the Thunder is that they have so many draft picks that they can keep on doing this and then see if one hits basically at this point. But I will say, um, I think the Rockets did well in this draft. Um, yeah. I think the Rockets did well in this draft with Shingun and um, 
with Jalen Green. Um, I, I I guess that's their instead of picking Evan Mobley at two, I guess they are just like let's pick a fit slash need. Uh, well, I guess fit and need are kind of let's pick uh, talent that also kind of works as a fit right now with Jalen Green, and then we can get Shen Goon as the guy that you know if he's good enough that that might unseat um, um, Christian Wood if need be because I thought Evan Mobley. Uh, was such a great talent. I mean, again, Jalen Greed played with higher competition. I just didn't get to see it. Um, I'm a college basketball fan. I just saw what Evan Mobley's done. I mean, Drew Timmy did him dirty in uh, the Elite Eight game, but that's that's a different matter. Uh, Evan, Mobley, Evan Mobley was so good in college that I thought a talent like this and how not just me, not as a college basketball like fan like me seeing it, but other NBA scouts and NBA media pundits that are like say Kevin O'Connor, for example, that how high they're talking him up. I'm thinking, well, at that point, does, does it really matter if you have Christian Wood or not? You know, it's the same way. I mean, this thing has been said so many times. It's like Houston passing on Michael Jordan because they have Clyde Drexler. Uh, it's that, uh, you know, let's not, let's, it's just a little rich of a comparison right now. Let's, let's that's, calm that's down on my part. But I, I'm guessing I'm just saying if if that's what if that's if we're thinking Evan Mobley is going to be AD basically Anthony Davis, um, then wouldn't you I guess move off move off from Christian Wood? You know, you just got to draft the best player. But I think they kind of they kind of killed two birds with one stone and trying I guess not with one stone, but they kind of solved their problems by sure let's just take Jalen green let's take the fit but shangun is like the development you know guy that could be the all-around center old school post moves with um you know great passing upside and all of that uh we'll see if that works out so i think houston did well um i will say with uh, sacramento i like davion mitchell it's just weird that i guess they just really want to get rid of buddy healed um the fact yeah. that they have so many guards, they have a ridiculous amount of guards, and it feels like at some point one of them's gonna gotta go away. It felt like a crowded room for guards, and they needed big men. And um, I guess, I mean, Davion Mitchell is, is definitely good, but maybe I guess they believed he was too good to pass up, and we'll just find a way for it to fit rather than pick a big guy. Right. Absolutely. I think, I think you covered it all, honestly. So nothing to add there. <laughs> Anything else I want to talk about the draft uh, right now? I got, I mean, all right. If we go run down Trey Murphy, I think good pick for the, um, for the Pelicans. Um, he was, I just remember watching, you know, Duke, Virginia and just watching other Virginia games. And he just infuriated the hell out of me. Uh, just for how good he is defense, like how long he is defensively and how, how good he is as a shooter. Um, just he's such a disruptor defensively. It felt like at times. And um, yeah, I will, I will say um, this is again, a little sporadic here on my end. Uh, again, I'm just going to use this excuse that it's two 30 AM my time, but Moses Moody, um, just thinking back about Moses Moody, I knew there was something I wanted to say about this. Um, the way they were talking him up in the ESPN uh, broadcast of like how good he is offensively, I feel like is a little overstated. 
because when they shoot, like I was watching this draft with a friend and I was trying to, you know, give him commentary on what's, you know, what his college basketball, uh, you know, career was like. And I thought they were really overselling his offensive production, how good he is offensively. Um, he's great defensively, but I think they're really overselling it. And then the stat, the split stat right after showed because the teams below 500 that he played, he was great. He was definitely good. But then the teams that were above 500, he was definitely a step back, you know, only 30% from three uh, points per game went down a lot. And I think when you average it, when you see the average, it looks like, oh, he had a really good offensive output in college. When, when you really take the full picture of it, when you think about how different he was offensively versus, you know, different competition, uh, I think that just tells a story for why I guess, I'm a little apprehensive on Moses Moody when I'm thinking, I mean, I like the guy. I think he's great defensively. And I'm like, why do I think he's a reach? And that's why I kind of think he's a reach um, yeah. from that perspective. That's going back and forth. But um, anything else you want to talk about? I was kind of, um, you know, I would assume fell. Jared Butler fell. Um, Kayon Johnson really fell. If we want to talk yeah. about yeah. that. Man, this is, I mean, for someone who set the combine record for vertical, for someone who was, uh, I mean, he, he was definitely, you, you know, I'm trying to think of how it was like in college. I thought Tennessee was relatively a disappointment in college. They how to work a top 10 team like preseason, and they were just a disappointment near the end and how inconsistent they were offensively. But, I mean, Keon Johnson was, you know, he was definitely – He's definitely an athletic freak guy um, when I was thinking about it. And the fact that it, it dropped this late, um, not just late, but dropped to this, I guess is this late. Yeah, he dropped this late is kind of a shock to me. Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree with that. I, I know why is the, you know, our, our college basketball expert here. So that's why I don't have too much to say, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting draft, definitely. I think. Uh, yeah, you know, no, we're, I guess we're getting to the portion where I'm just scrolling down the draft results, and I'm just trying to, you know, just recollect what, how I feel about right. these guys as it was happening. Um, I think I would say that you know, this draft will be uh, one of those that I'm sure that there will be a lot of good players that come out of this draft. Um, I mean, look at it; it's just like you know, it's it's just about talent like filled throughout. Um, I thought that, you know, last year's draft, in, and I understand now that, you know, Anthony Edwards and Ramel Balder are doing good, but maybe was a little bit lighter on, like, talent-wise. Um, that being said, like, I think that the one year that, um, you know, you can't really compare to in terms of just, like, recent history, uh, when I think about uh, drafts and how, how, how bad things were, were uh, 2013, this, this is just talking about bad drafts. So this is like me going on kind of a little ramp, but ahead, 2013, man. that was such a bad draft um, that you could have Anthony Bennett being drafted number one overall. Like, I mean, that, that's just the devoid of talent, which is certainly not the case in this year's draft. They have a lot of talent in this year's draft. Um, you know, people say that, you know, at least, you know, of the top four guys, most of them in any other draft could have gone number one. Uh, yeah. I mean, Cade Cunningham, I guess we could maybe talk about him real quick because we probably did. Go ahead. You know, I think we should. So, yeah, people had, you know, a lot of individuals have been saying, you know, Kate Cunningham, him, this man 
should be in a class of himself among all these ultra talented prospects because uh, he's just such a complete player. Um, you know, we heard, I think I heard Jay Billis say the other day that um, Kate Cunningham's probably the most complete player he's ever scouted in terms of like pre-draft, um, just like how complete his game is, mm-hmm. how polished he is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I can't really lie about, you know, and argue against that, that the guy is absolutely amazing. He's like incredible in terms of like what you can do. Um, he doesn't, again, like we say, he doesn't have that freakish talent, like athletic ability, but um, he more than makes up for that in terms of like everything else um, that he does, which is, um, you know, makes him very worthy of the number one pick for sure. Um, I think, I don't know what Detroit's going to look like. It's going to be kind of interesting. They are, you know, they got pieces all over the place. I think the only constant at this point is probably Jeremy Grant because Mason Plumley got moved as well. And so, um, well, I mean, you, let's talk, like, what do you think about Detroit? They have, so let's say they have Kate Cunningham. They're going to have Kate Cunningham and Killian Hayes, I think, um, yep. at the guards. They have Josh Jackson. They have Jeremy Grant. They have Sadiq Bey. And they have Isaiah Stewart. They have young – I feel like a team like that can win games with Cade Cunningham because Sadiq Bey is growing to be a good three-point shooter. Uh, we know Jeremy Grant slashing. I feel like if Cade Cunningham is – he's an amazing passer – if yes. you know, Jeremy Grant is the cutter that he could be, you know, I feel like that could that could work the two of them together. I mean, Kate Cunningham could do all the passes, and then um, Jeremy Grant will get up all the shots, and he likes scoring anyways and being ball dominant or not being ball dominant, but getting those um, slashing scores anyways. So I think it could work, and I think it would – I think the fact that Cade was so eager to come to Detroit – um, I think that says volumes too, that absolutely just genuinely really wanted to come to Detroit. Whereas I think it might've been Evan Mobley or there's some other, uh, I might be misquoting this or mis remembering. There are other players such as Evan Mobley that I think um, them and their brass were apprehensive of going to Detroit and Kay just embraced it. Um, and he talked about the bad boy Pistons in this interview and he's like, just really, and the, draft interview the post-draft interview i should say i guess i don't know it was during the draft it was while the draft was happening but after you got drafted let me put it that way um <laughs> uh, the way he had reverence to what they're doing in detroit and how he wants to really be there i think that speaks volumes and i mean if we want to just talk about his game in college it was just i mean what at least what what jay billis said i can't really go you know i can't really go against that i yeah. mean he beat Baylor. Uh, I shouldn't say by himself because the other players had to score. Of course, he had to set them up and they had to score. But basically, he was responsible for everything. <laughs> he was like, look, buddy, it wasn't – I was texting you this while it was happening, and I've already seen him in different games, and I saw the overtime win he had against um, – I believe it was Texas um, You know that year. He's had so many clutch shots, and he's been so crazy. But when I saw him play Baylor in the Big 12 championship uh, – in the tournament, I shouldn't say champion in the big 12 tournament. I was like, this guy, this guy, I, the Luca comparisons as blazy as they might be. I see it. Like I get it because like, that's how, that's the type of role he was playing on that team. And defensively, it just, he was just 
you know, he was also good. I mean, he's a definitely complete player. He might, he stands out in every level, but it might not be to the extremes that let's say a Zion did or an Anthony Davis did, but he definitely ticks all the boxes as an NBA level player in all of the boxes. And that's, I, I think that's, that's hundred percent true. Um, right. And the way he's just, you can just tell the demeanor and the way he carried himself and the, the way Oklahoma state was that, you know, last year with very much, not much beside him, it felt like, and how he was just, he was just carrying it. And there wasn't that much three-point shooting, efficient three-point shooting alongside him. Now you're going to go to the NBA and sure the Detroit might not have a lot, but I mean, Sadiq Bay is, I think Sadiq Bay is, you know, pretty good three-point shooter in my opinion. So right. we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. I think just getting him and then in, in general is just a floor raiser. And um, hopefully if, let's say they aren't necessarily amazing or great the next year, they can draft guys that can, um, that can further compliment him. But I think he's definitely a can't miss guy. Absolutely. Um, for sure. If we can't miss guy. I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I wouldn't say necessarily he's like a complete league of his own uh, just because I understand Evan Mobley. I, I put Evan Mobley slightly up there um, because I see what Evan Mobley can do defensively and he can guard all five positions as a center. Um, right. The defensive upside he has is tremendous. I mean, I still definitely put him a peg under K Cunningham just because um, we can't just take for granted that he's going to fill in that he's going to, you know, and that he's going to get that much better offensively. Um, we can't just take that for granted, but uh, here I am, I guess, in a way taking that for granted uh, by saying he's, I think, in a similar tier to Cade, but nah, it's going to be, this is going to be a great draft. I think I, the fact that like, there are so there are good players in the second round. Like I can, Jeremiah Robinson, I can, I'm just listing players that I just know are great from college. Uh, I don't have to do too much analysis on them, but just Jeremiah Robinson Earl, great defensive uh, forward uh, at Villanova. He was also a strong offensive contributor. Uh, Herb Jones, like SEC defensive player of the year. Ayu um, Desumu, my gosh, he, the, the, the level he went to in college um, in, you know, in one after his first year, heading into second year, his defense is definitely there. And I, he might not be NBA level offensively, but the heart, the grit that he has, I'm telling you, he'll definitely be in the league for a long time. I mean, I can just go through these second round picks and I can already tell you, like, this is going to be a decent, you know, a decent draft class. There's Jericho Sims near the, near the end. I'm just scrolling through near the end of this draft. We had Jericho Sims who, I mean, I saw when he was at Texas, he, he had some of those most athletic plays as a center in Texas. And he's almost the last pick and he was, it felt like he was an insane athlete actually. So I also kind of like this draft because it wasn't necessarily dominated by Kentucky or dominated by Duke. No, no offense to my school. Uh, it was, you got to see a collection from various places and you got to see um, as a college basketball fan, maybe it kind of gives a plug for some, some guys who are watching, seeing all the different places that um, these guys are coming from. And the fact that I can say they, they were mostly, they were just 
they're really good players and that their teams were quite good uh, this year. I don't know. It's just kind of, it's just kind of nice. And I think this draft definitely has potential to be really good. I don't think that's an overreaction because I think we can last year's draft. I would have told you, I don't think it's going to be that good this year's draft. I'm telling you even top to bottom, I think it's going to be pretty good. Really good. Stack class. It's definitely a very stack class. So it's, I mean, the fact that Jared, I mean, Jared Butler in the second round and he's like, you know, most outstanding player and think about what Baylor did and how athletically and how polished and NBA ready. It seemed that whole team was the way they like demolished Gonzaga in the final. I mean, he's in the second round and he's younger than Davion Mitchell. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I could go on and on, but uh, you want to call that a, call that a night for the NBA draft? Sure. Sure. I think that that covers the NBA draft pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess that's all I'll say. I'm just excited for this draft class. Uh, for sure. Yeah. All right. And I think we got to, so I mentioned this at the top of the top of the show that um, the last time we recorded, it was basically an hour before we ended an hour before the opening ceremony in Tokyo. Uh, yep. And so much has happened. It's ridiculous. Um, I guess just to say it was ridiculous. I said that a lot about uh, these things, but there have been two. I, there's been one major storyline that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, and that's I think Simone Biles and what has happened with U.S. gymnastics and um, what she's had to go through. Um, from um, from what I you know from what I really know, she got. Um, she was uh, performing a gymnastic stunt and, she, you know, she messed up her ankle and she just, on top of that, I, there was a lot of mental health stress on her and feeling that her body wasn't necessarily in tune with her mind at that point and how the competition and just how rigorously it felt like the judges were um, judging her as compared to other um other other gymnastics uh, other uh, gymnasts um, was kind of insane because I guess they just wanted to put more pressure on her um, to create more in a level playing field when she's I think the, the go to female gymnastics uh, but I feel like you've been paying a little bit more attention than I have on the Olympics so you know give me your thoughts man yeah I, you know the only thing I didn't hear about the actual like, ankle injury the only thing I heard about was that you know uh, Simone had this thing. She she herself called it the twisties, just mm -hmm. in terms of like, um, yeah, as you said it, like basically the mental um, picture of like doing a stunt and the actual, you know, the physical um, re response were to like not, they weren't in relation to each other as you usually want it to be. It's a little bit discombobulated um, in which, you know, in gymnastics becomes kind of a dangerous kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, in order to, you know, do all these like flips and, you know, all those uh, cartwheels, all, all the different stunts that you have to do in gymnastics in the air, um, you know, becomes dangerous, becomes something that um, definitely um, is, you know, like quite, quite uh, you know, d devastating if, if, if someone, you know, actually um, had some twisties injuries, um, that it could be very devastating and uh, very serious. So um, that's why Simone decided um, it was best for her. 
it was best for Team USA, who you know ended up doing fine. Um, they did they, they did really well in terms of just the team all around competition, um, just to you know pull out there and uh, you know have uh, the rest of the team go along without her. Um, I, I think the media and you know as a whole, they, this has been extensively covered already, but. You know, I, I think overall, it's just uh, it takes a lot of courage. I think, you know, in this modern day, especially, you know, for her, so, someone who has a spotlight on her the entire time um, to speak on, on this issue, she could have just followed it up and said, I'm just going to go do it. But then, you know, she's risking herself in terms of injury and then just also risking, um, you know, for her team, uh, what, what kind of results that could have been. So I think, you know, ultimately she did take the right path and the best path um, in terms of just like the saying. I will sit this one out, you know, I will make sure that um, I'll cheer my teammates um, from the sidelines here. And, uh, you know, hopefully I know it's only a short-term setback. So um, I think it does, it is kind of, it is quite sad because, you know, Olympics, they don't happen every year. They happen every once, every four years. Right. And so, um, you know, this Olympics was, you know, five years. And so I guess it's the next Olympics will be three years away, but that's three more years of training, of waiting, of seeing if you can actually, you know, maintain your insane level. And gymnastics is just like, you know, it's such a competitive sport. There's so much turnover. Um, you know, I, I wish the best for Simone. Um, I think, you know, she, she definitely will do very well. She's, you know, definitely one of the best, if not the best um, female gymnastics um, athlete of all time. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see, have to see what happens in the future. Um, I know she'll be fine. Uh, this, this is not a long-term issue at all. It's just that, you know, it just sucks for her because I know Olympics were, you know, a very special time for any gymnastics um, athlete um, to compete in. So. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, the fact that, I mean, that I'm even, that I really know about Simone Biles and that we, she's been hyped up for some, I mean, rightfully so, but she's been hyped up for a decent amount of time now. And, you know, we've seen how well she performed in Rio and, and, you know, we're really excited for this. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of pressure mounting up, not just, you know, from the stage of it and from the judges and from trying to be perfect from her standards, but just from everyone else's standards on top of that we right. have for her. Because, uh, I mean, I don't know about, you know, you, but as, as far as I'm concerned, I really haven't paid that much to gymnastics until, you know, Simone Biles, is, you know, came on. And, you know, now it, gymnastics became a must-see thing for me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely stuff, but I understand it. Um, I understand why she did it. And I think that she's being a good teammate, uh, USA has done fairly well. And, uh, I think that's important that, um, to take, you know, to not just put yourself in a terrifying situation that you might regret later on. Um, it, I think that's important. And I, I, yeah, I think, you know, the stunts that gymnastics does, to be honest, um, it could have been light threatening injuries if, if you actually like, you know, had, had a very bad accident. So that's definitely, you know, something you don't want to risk. So, um, yeah. You say right there, man. Um, so that, that's, that's, I think the, the main storyline as you know, in my opinion, that's the main storyline coming out of, um, this Olympics so far, uh, so far in this first week, um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to go on this basketball thread, also USA basketball losing to France. Um, yeah. My gosh. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about it first? I'm, you know, let, 
Why don't you talk about it first, man? I think that game against France was just – it was just a lot of things happened. Number one, the team was – I mean, this the, the Team USA this season, it's a lot of – as in many other seasons, but I think this season in particular, it's a lot of we're going to try to build team chemistry on the fly. There's a lot of egos. Uh, there's a lot of new guys coming in, new faces. So Booker, um, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, they literally flew in like – just a few days before that that tip off against just France, got so right out it, right it, out of the NBA Finals, yeah, right. It's like so these guys they all know each other. Yes, of course. I mean, yeah, they're part of the NBA, but how well do they play together? Like on a team, like it's not like they play together all the time together on a team. So that's why it becomes a little difficult. Like you know, everyone's trying to be. I guess one of the common things with Team USA is in the beginning, everyone tries to um, distribute the ball and be too nice, quote unquote, in many ways. And then towards the end, um, people become like more established roles. Like, hey, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. We're going to make sure that, you know, we work together as a unit. That's what Team USA is trying to do. Like through this process, they're trying to work through and establish that team chemistry and establish those roles as uh, time goes along. But, um, you know, first game out of the gate was France. They played really well. No, give credit to France. I think Evan Fournier played extremely well. Um, they had a great game plan. Rudy Gobert played well as well in the class. You know, they just outplayed Team USA. I mean, Kevin Durant fouled out. That that never helps your cause when your, your yeah. best player fouls out um, in the game. Um, and then, uh, you know, but you know, I, I did see that Team USA bounced back in a big way against uh, Iran. Um, I think just a few yeah. days ago, it was over a 50-point win. Um, that being said, you know, Iran, with all due respect, isn't a, you know, a contending team here. So um, that was expected, but it is a positive step forward in terms of just like, you know, building momentum uh, for better team chemistry there. I mean, this might tie into, I mean, this has been the problem I feel like for team USA all along, not all along, but in general is that you just come out, especially with how late the NBA season and the NBA finals are like word this year, you just come off of the playoffs. You just come off of this and the Olympics seem like, you know, you kind of take it for granted maybe that let's say you see Rudy Gobert and you've seen Evan Fournier. You're like, Oh, we can handle this guy. Like KD alone can figure out a way to, you know, figure out Rudy Gobert and Evan Fournier. And it's like that kind of sent, I shouldn't say complacency because these are athletes that are super, you know, super competitive and that's how they were this good in the NBA. I mean, I can't take, I can't just say that you know, and take that for granted. But there could be a sense of familiarity that was, you know, that might have been seeping in. And I kind of already mentioned before how there might be some uh, some rumblings with pop, uh, which seem bizarre to think about. But there might be some rumblings with pop. And I think the team chemistry, like you said, they're trying to build the team chemistry on the fly. And they've known each other from playing in the NBA through all these years and with each other and all these other connections. But this team and the way it's constructed, it's not. It's very ISO heavy. I feel like um, with Katie, with Tatum, with Beal, and with uh, Beal's on. I don't with um, Beal's no longer on the team. Yeah, Beal's no longer on. My bad. Uh, but I, you know, Levine is on, right? Levine is yes. Yeah, well, Levine, Levine's the same problem. So Levine and uh, Dame, it's like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of chemistry there. I guess you're assuming Draymond for Draymond to be the the the, the ball, you know, the passing, the facilitator. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, not necessarily the best. And 
I think this is also an important thing to make is international basketball and Olympic basketball is much more built like, um, let's say FIBA or built, it's much closer to college than it is to NBA level, like NBA right. style, um, how you should build up your teams and, and such. So in that case, the name of the game in college, I feel like is guards and big men. It's, it's inside out games. It's, it's basically guards and big men and utilizing that. And if you're going to have a wing, you, I feel like that's, I mean, this is uh, the Tyus and Tate podcast kind of mentioned this in jest, but there's yeah. maybe a grain of truth to this, that this is why Carmelo Anthony became a different level in Olympic play uh, because of how good he is in college. And he, that's his game is fit for that. And he is good. In, he was good in the NBA for sure. I mean, you know, he's, he's been a great player in the NBA, but there's something to be said, like where he was definitely dominant in college and there's reasons there's dominant deal uh, in the Olympics. And so there's, there's some of that too, that there might be a weird uh, makeup with this team uh, chemistry wise, but I mean, when you have as much talent as they have, you, you just expect them, expect them to figure it out. I mean, like you said, the win against Iran, I think is a huge, is a step in the right direction. I shouldn't say huge step, but it's a step in the right direction. Right. It's, just, it's just a little upsetting. It's just a little upsetting, man. We lose our first game and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help that like first take and you know, a bunch of ESPN pundits are on, on Team USA's ass and we're all just like, what the hell is yeah. going on? <laughs> hey, I mean, all due respect to Greg uh, Popovich, but you know, I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, his international track record has not been the greatest, let's just say. Um, Coach K's on the other hand. Coach K. And, and, and you know what? I, I think, you know, really, and I'll be honest, I think Coach K, not only he is a college basketball coach, and you mentioned, like, you know, it has a lot more to do with college basketball and international competition here in FIBA, but also Coach K – really learned um, a lot from when he was on the dream team. So coach K was one of the assistant coaches uh, on the 92 dream team. And, you know, that's the first time that NBA players were allowed to play in competition uh, for the Olympics. And, you know, I think, you know, one story and I watched the entire documentary about the dream team. It was just such, such a fascinating story. Um, they had basically um, a bunch of college players. So a bunch of, the best college players in the nation, in, 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 in the nation, yeah, in the U S uh, as a scrimmage play against all these NBA stars, like literally like six, seven hall of famers, basically on one team and then a bunch of college kids and the, uh, the coach, the head coach, Chuck Daly purposely made the NBA players lose that game. So they purposely made him lose that game. And coach K in the middle was like trying to ask Chuck, like, why were you making him lose? And Chuck was like, just wait and see. So once they lost, they kind of like, you know, kind of like started building that motivation. They got kind of pissed. They're like, why did we lose against these college kids? Like, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're Hall of Famers. We've got to be better than this. And they ended up, you know, like just dominating everyone. So um, I, I, I don't know, like, I think like, you know, this could be, I, I don't know that it could be true. Maybe if, you know, this <laughs> loss from France, but then it gets, it might be a little bit different. Um, it's just that, you know, that, that was, um, you know, the, the kind of like the genius idea of uh, Chuck Daly and like making sure that a team really like 
knew that they, they all had to serve their own roles. Every single player had to, um, you know, really execute well in order for the team to win. So uh, I don't know. I think hopefully this team figures it out. I think they're way too talented not to. So I think it's a wait and see um, how things will go from here. Yeah, that solid point. I will say, I mean, to, to just maybe we're going a little too much on this right now, but it just was so weird the construction of this team that Draymond Green is like the big man. And they brought in JaVale McGee, I feel like just to shore that up, but it's just, I don't know, man. It's just a little rough um, it's that, to yeah. be to be in the situation. And meanwhile, Luca and Slovenia, what they're doing, it's like, you know, they're now like a you know betting darling uh, <laughs> to to win the uh, Olympic gold, which I don't know how likely that is, but yeah, still, yeah, still yeah. I, I don't know about that, but Luca is a good player, and not 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 to uh, you know discount him at all. So I mean, we'll see. We're playing against the Czech Republic next, I believe, and uh, they beat Canada. Uh, Thomas hey, Sapkowski okay. and crew beat Canada, so let's be on let's be on our best <laughs> behavior right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, anything else you want to talk about the Olympics? Um, um, well, I want to talk a little bit about tennis um, right. in the Olympics. Um, I think so. For tennis, it's 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 like not too much, uh, you know, happening. Um, the one big one is actually on the women's side. I watched live um, Naomi Osaka. She lost in her second round match. Um, and, you know, this was kind of a big news because she was the, you know, the kind of like the torch slider for the entire opening ceremony. So she was like basically one, the, I guess the, the centerpiece for, you know, Japan's like, you know, athletes. Yeah, um, exactly. and all that. So um, it was too bad um, for her to lose, but I, I just believe that, you know, um, I, I, I do apologize, but I do not know her opponent's name, but she is from the Czech Republic. Um, her opponent played a very good match. And uh, in a, again, in WTA, I think, you know, aside from maybe when Osaka was at her most dominant, Serena Williams, um, in recent times, WTA has really been a revolving door just in terms of who's going to win every week, who's going to win these majors. It, it's really just new names every single time. And uh, you're not, you're seeing basically the same thing. Like, I mean, Osaka hasn't played since um, what the French open when she withdrew from the, from the tournament. Yeah. And, uh, that was just such a long layoff for her mm -hmm. that, you know, opponent, I think her opponent did uh, do quite successfully uh, in the major tournaments this year that it became such an issue that, you know, if you play against someone that's pretty competent against it, uh, that long layoff did not help Osaka in terms of just like getting that edge. Um, and then, you know, on the men's side, not nothing too much. Uh, Novak still going on his tear in terms of his yeah. quest for a calendar golden slam. Uh, it's still going on very well. Um, you know, there have been a lot of complaints about um, just about the weather in Tokyo. It's been very hot and humid. And, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, Daniil Medvedev, the uh, two seed, he said, uh, you know, few times you couldn't breathe on the court because it was just so bad. Um, but uh, I, I think tennis, it's something uh, they're probably going to move it to night matches now. So hopefully that'll alleviate that problem. But um, yeah, I think it's been, it's been an intense few days for uh, tennis in terms of just like, you know, grueling conditions, but 
also like, you know, some surprises and upsets and all that. Um, so it, it, yeah, things have been interesting. Yeah, that, that's definitely, I'm, that even just, that just slipped through my radar that Osaka lost, but yeah, I was about to, you know, say that it, it has been a while uh, since she's played, so it could be. She just has, yeah, it's been a while, that, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a case in point. I mean, your, your sport, um, golf, I mean, what is it? Is, what's his, uh, was it DeChambeau couldn't make it and they had to put in Reed in his place? Correct. Uh, um, so both Bryson DeChambeau and John Rahm. So John Rahm's the world number one. Wait, Rahm also could? Oh, boy. Both, both tested positive for COVID-19, so both were pulled from the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so uh, basically they had Patrick Reed replace DeChambeau. I'm not totally sure who replaced. I think it was uh, – his name is – Ernest is his last name. He is his, uh, from um, Spain. That was the replacement for John Rahm. Um, but yeah, it, it was, you know, just too bad for the situation in terms of both of those guys. Um, you know, golf's going along. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the closest American right now in terms of, uh, you know, the leaderboard is, uh, Xander Shoffley. So he's doing okay. Um, I think, uh, you know, the other guys, they're, they're still, you know, in, in the hunt. I know that, you know, Colin Morikawa and mm-hmm. Patrick Reed are tied. Um, and then, you know, you got, uh, Justin Thomas, just, just at even par. So it's not too bad, but, um, you know, there's, there's a few guys, current leaders, Carl Ortiz at 10 under. So, um, he's, uh, he's doing well. So, um, yeah, we'll see. It's only round two. There's only, there's two more rounds of playing golf. So, um, you know, anything can happen to now. Yeah. And, uh, I guess on my end, I just want to shout out, uh, just swimming, just, I just like watching swimming. It feels like, you know, in a way it's like the track of aquatics and it's <laughs> kind of fun. Um, yeah. The Dressel of uh, Kyo Dressel set the Olympic record, uh, 100 meter uh, freestyle, I believe. That's huge. Uh, you know, congrats to him for that. And I mean, the greatest, uh, arguably the greatest female swimmer um, of all time, and Katie Ledecky. She kind of got off to a somewhat of a rough start, but glad she finished out uh, strong with a gold and uh, 1500 uh, meters and. Uh, what is it? I think the women's team got silver in uh, one of the relays. So, right. Shout uh, out to that. Right. Huge, uh, actually, huge shout out to uh, Lydia Jacoby, um, the 19 year old from Alaska that won gold medal. That's, that's insane. Just thinking about yeah. it. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's something. That's something. Wait. I totally, I, sorry, sorry. I, I apologize. She is 17 years old. She's not 19 or so. <laughs> so I, I was thinking um, because I read the article and uh, she said that, you know, uh, she was just going to go back to high school, you know, the, the next year in the fall and she'd have a gold medal. And I was like, that's not 19 years old. That's so I, I apologize. Um, she's 17 years old, won the Olympic gold medal, um, which is just, you know, amazing uh, accomplishment for her. So great job to Lydia. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's something that you'll have forever an Olympic gold medal. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. There's been just some amazing athletes. Uh, I've wished, I wish that I, um, I could watch the Olympics even more, uh, right now. Um, we all, we, you know, I got, you know, busy stuff going on in my life. So the Olympics have been kind of going on the back burner every now and then I kind of tune in, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's just nice to, 
it feels a little different, I guess, because this is like 2021 rather than 2020 and it's not entirely the same, you know, COVID still exists, you know, still exists and it's still a threat in Japan. So just not necessarily a sense of normalness with this um, whole deal. And, but I'm excited it's here. And uh, I guess this is more of a note to myself, not to take it for granted uh, the, yeah. top, the, the Olympics right now. So Maybe that's a note to self to really focus up on the second week. So, yeah. <laughs> um, any shout outs you want to do uh, Olympics wise or just in general? Uh, I know that uh, we're going to be doing uh, baseball uh, and next time. I Pretty soon, maybe even tomorrow. We've been teasing that we're going to start covering baseball. And I think the trade deadline has given us final, like finally some impetus to actually cover it because if we want to cover trade deadline shocking news we got to actually set the scene for what the hell is happening beforehand so yeah uh, i'm sure you'll uh, hear a little bit about Lya, and uh he'll probably have a brief rant about uh soft caps in uh major league sports uh which uh, baseball has so uh Thank we'll God. hear from that shortly as well <laughs> so the one reason if, if baseball was if the seasons were shorter and if they had a hard salary cap, I'd be one of the biggest baseball fans. And uh, <laughs> it just doesn't. It's just annoying. And so that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, uh, nice talking to you as always. Uh, nice talking to you guys as well. Uh, and uh, I'll see you very soon. Uh, we got to record this baseball podcast. Yes. So see you very soon. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back very soon. Have a good night. All right. Good night, man. Good night.